Welcome to the Land Podcast. This week, we have a great episode with a previous client of mine, Paul Funnel, and we're talking about a wide range of topics, some things he wished he would have known sooner, some things he wished he would have done sooner, and some things he's glad he did. So we're going to get into all of that. Before we do so, I have a couple quick announcements. The first one being is for the entire month of April, Exodus is doing the trade up program again. So basically, the easiest way to describe it is cash for clunkers for trail cameras. And all you have to do is go to the link in the description, read all the information. And what happens is you go on our website, you use the code upgrade at checkout, and you'll save 25% off the Exodus camera line. And after that, we will send you a return label for your junky non-working cameras to be sent in. Once we receive those, we ship your order. So it's a cool way to get some value out of cameras that aren't working. I mean, they could be, you should see some of the ones that have come in. They're really old. We have ones that are on diesel batteries. We have some that look like a bear ate them. In reality, it probably did occur. And so great way to lock up some Exodus cameras at a great price and trade in some junk that you won't use anymore. Also, if you are brand new to the show, the goal is to help 100 people buy their first piece of land. Number one, if you are in the state of Illinois and I can assist you, I'm more than happy to do so. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone that I personally know that I would encourage or suggest doing business with, happy to do that as well to help get folks connected. And if I don't know anyone in the area you're looking, I'll let you know. And then number three, if you just simply learn something here from the podcast, let me know. I want to add you to the spreadsheet. I want to say thanks for all of the support. And the other thing too is I'll just give you a, a general plug for Acres. I'm telling you what, I use a ton of different mapping softwares and I go to Acres first when it comes to work, when it comes to looking up a parcel, looking at getting as much insight and do due diligence quickly. That's my go-to. They have a free accounts over at acres.co. I encourage you to go take a peek at it. But enough of all of this, let's go ahead and get right into this episode. Here we go. Paul, welcome to the Land Podcast. How's it going? Going well, going well. How are you today? It's, I'm doing well. I'm really excited uh, for this episode. Uh, I've gotten a chance to know you better over the last, I would say, year and a half. Would you agree with that? Maybe? Yeah. Yeah, a year and a half. It was about a year ago in January, I believe. Yeah. And so you had listened to the Land Podcast and you were in Illinois and we got to talking and got to learn a little bit more about your goals and everything else. And we ended up getting you a parcel. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, but before we get into everything, go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, let people know who you are. Yeah. So my name is Paul Funnel. Um, I'm originally from Michigan, but I live in the now I've lived in the southwestern most suburbs of Chicago for about the last seven years. So I came here as, on a job opportunity. Uh, really, I'd only planned to stay for a couple of years and move on. But I've been here for about seven years. I'm married. I have uh, twin boys that just turned three actually yesterday. So life here is pretty crazy, you know, being born at the height of COVID and all that uncertainty that came kind of with that. So the last three years have been a, have been a blur, um, but it's been great. I'm, you know, full disclosure, I'm 41 years old, um, been hunting really since I can remember. Right. So if you remember the movie, the Christmas story where Randy can't put his arms down because he's bundled up so much, I can remember going out with my dad. <laughs> my dad did like that during gun season um, when I was three, four years old, um, been primarily bow hunter during that time, um, been bow hunting you know, since I could get a permit in Michigan at that time, which was, uh, 12. So I've been bow hunting for close to 30 years now. Um, but all of them pretty much exclusively in Michigan with the exception of the last few years in some, uh, public land here. Yeah. Well then now you're on ground too, but we'll get into that. And so, um, I found this interesting. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you worked for like, there's the, the big four in the world of accounting and finance and, and you worked for one of them, correct? 
Yes, I did. I worked for one of the big four coming straight out of uh, out of college. The opportunity was there, and I worked for them for about five years. Um, as that industry goes, I absolutely love the people I was working with. Absolutely love them. However, uh, it was quite the grinder. Um, a lot of hours. I mean, I was working every single day from, uh, I can remember all but two days from January 1st until like, I think it was like April 29th or something. Um, and they weren't short days. So it was, it was a fantastic opportunity. Great experience. Opened a lot of doors for me. Um, but yeah, it was about five years and I moved on out of there into another kind of financial role with a, a building products manufacturer. Um, and that's where I'm at today. Cool. Do you, what was it like working that hard for that long? Cause I think people talk about it, but you were in the trenches and, and to play, to be placed in one of the top four, I feel like, or in the big four, I think that says a lot about you and your work ethic and probably your, your, uh, how knowledgeable you are and how you did in school too. Yeah, it was, it was great. I don't think I truly appreciate kind of the opportunity, maybe coming straight out of college. I was, you know, I went into college as a physics major, um, I kind of laughed. My mom said, what are you going to do with that besides build roller coasters? Right. (laughs) And, you know, I played baseball, a small division two school. And I talked to some of the guys on the team and they were saying, you know, if I could do it over again, you know, they were fourth year guys and they say, I would go into accounting. And I was like, oh, all right. All right. So, you know, I honestly kind of listened to them. So I came out of college, not really truly appreciating the opportunity to work for um, such a firm, but it it does test you a lot. Obviously you can kind of see who's willing to put in the work and who's not. how efficient you can be with your time too, but it just teaches you to plug away as well, right? Like you might not see, you know, the big picture one day, but you know, you're going to plug away and the next day you're going to show up and you're going to give it all you have and the next day and the next day and the next day. And soon enough, before you know it, you kind of have a product um, that you've kind of built behind you in terms of um, your resume and the connection and the social network that you've made that is really second to none, in my opinion, in that field. Yeah. I couldn't imagine. Yeah. And so I want to know this. You grew up in Michigan. Michigan has some of the most deep hunting heritage in the country. I would put it up there with Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. And was there a point that you specifically remember where you're like, I would really like to own land someday? Or was that a foreign concept at the time? When did you decide you wanted to own land? Oh, it was it was early on. Like I can remember drawing um, in school in my notebook, like how I was going to build like a, tr- you know, my ultimate tree blind. Right. Um, yeah. so it was probably 10, 11 years old. So my dad owned 80 acres growing up. Uh, he still does to this day, but you know, we have family. It's a tradition. You, you'd see the orange army kind of heading up the highways on the night before gun season. Uh, you'd be counting how many shots you heard before, you know, legal shooting light almost because <laughs> right. we were, we, we were above the, the rifle line. So those shots carry for a ways, but, um, yeah, it was probably 10, 11 years old that I was like, I'm going to own some piece of land and it was going to be in Michigan at that point in my head. Right. Um, but it was 10, 11 and then kind of got, you know, it was always there, but it wasn't necessarily pressing until kind of later in life. Mm-hmm. And so talk a little bit about that too. Cause obviously I've gotten to know you here a little bit. I would definitely consider you very financially disciplined. And so as, do you think that has to do with personality or working in finance? Cause, and I, that's probably a dumb question because I know that there's like the finance bros, like a meme, <laughs> there's people who, who aren't finance bros. And so what, what's, what's your take on that? I think it was probably a combination. I think my personality probably lends to kind of the saving planning, um, numbers kind of side of things, but it was also definitely the, uh, the finance kind of accounting background um, that definitely played into being able to be in the position of buying land here later on. Right. And really ultimately there's a bigger picture too, because buying a land is in many ways, a luxury purchase. Um, But being able to set myself up where I could put away for retirement and still do something like this, because all of your best years for saving are really right when you come out of college. 
Mm -hmm. Uh, I had a professor one time tell me, put as much away from your first paycheck as you can, and you'll never know the difference later on. Mm -hmm. Um, So you skimp and you save. And ultimately, it might not, again, seem like something that next day or that next week, but over time, it really builds and puts you in the spot. So I think it was really probably both, you know, knowing how compound interest works and all that kind of thing, Mm -hmm. um, how investments kind of work, but um, also personality too. Sure. And so do you thank yourself for being that discipline in your 20s to where you're at now today? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, You can't get those years back, but I'm definitely thankful for, you know, living underneath my means. So, you know, I drove a a car that was 10 years old. I mean, it didn't even have a tape player. It wasn't even equipped for one. It wasn't equipped for AC. It had a hole in the trunk to drain the water out, right? But um, I knew that was money in my pocket later on down the road. I knew later on in life, I wasn't going to remember the car. But I was going to remember, hey, I was able to retire maybe three years old or earlier, two years earlier, or in this case, really, too, was my end goal was to own some piece of land. Mm-hmm. That was going to be more important to me down the road than, you know, maybe what I was driving at that time in my 20s. Yeah, I think that's some great advice there in itself, because I find some people that are like, I can't afford, I can't afford land. And then they have a seven or $800 truck payment. And it's like <laughs> yeah. right there, boom. It, you know, and everyone has different goals. And I think that's really what, what rings true here. But I think there's ways to create margin in your life. And that, to your point, would be one of the easiest ways to do it. Yeah, a great mechanic is is going to buy you land in many ways, because I have a truck right now, it's 300,000 miles, 296,000 miles on it, right? Um, and I spend between 2400 and 3000 3600 bucks a year in maintenance, preventative maintenance, right? But it's reliable. And I look at that as I'm spending between 200, 250 bucks a month on a truck payment, essentially when a new truck is going to cost me 500, 600, 700 bucks. Well, that difference right there is majority of what a mortgage payment is going to be on a piece of land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's really important. And I think that that in itself, there's one, one hurdle that keeps people from owning land. I would say number one, obviously is consumer debt, but the second one and probably the more glaring one is uh, car payments, like just, just eliminate that. And then the beauty of that is you can, and you have this, I know you have this mentality, but like the land is much more of an investment versus a vehicle that's going to depreciate over, over time, over the grand scheme of things, land has continued to appreciate. And uh, the golden rule of cars is as soon as you drive it off the lot, you just lost money. <laughs> so it's kind of the yes. opposite. Yes, yes, definitely. And I, I, you know, you hear that too, growing up with, you know, my dad and, Oh, I bought so-and-so so many acres at such a price, right? And I was like, now it's this much. And everybody's saying, oh, I you know, would never have thought that, right? So you see the, the long-term of owning something like that for 30 years. Yeah. Uh, do you think this, this is a great question for you since you have a finance background. I think land is a lot easier for people to understand of, okay, that physical piece of dirt sold for $1,000 an acre in 1990, and now it's worth $5,000 an acre. But then you look at the S&P 500 or you look at the NASDAQ or the Dow Jones and you look at what that was in 1990 to what it is today. And what I'm getting at is people in the 90s are like, oh, we'll never see the NASDAQ at X amount. And I feel like it's the same concept. However, land is just more tangible and people can understand it and follow easier than general markets across the board. Is that, is that a stretch or would you agree? 100%. It's tangible. They see it. You can see it. You can hold it, essentially hold it in your hands. It's, you feel it underfoot. Um, and it's there for you to see. Um, it's the same land. You know, you go buy it 20 years ago, 20 years from now, it's that, that same piece of land. You know, there might be some different uses on it, but it's that same piece of land. So people can, can grasp that kind of concept, I think, a lot easier. So I would agree with that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
that's yeah, I, that's my that's my thought on it too. Is this a lot more digestible for people to understand what that looks like? Um, I had another thought too. Oh, the other interesting thing that I like land too is obviously if you invest in like a <laughs> the S and P five hundred index, I mean you have almost no control over that impact of what happens in the market. Obviously, it's a good bet long term, but the one thing I really enjoy about land is you can physically go in there and control that ground and improve it, and that's just one sometimes when i invest like in a traditional retirement i feel a little helpless because it's like well what's the what's the economy what's and then it's like i look at land it's like well i'm gonna do this this and this and improve the value what what's your thoughts on that you get to enjoy it i mean you get you get to enjoy it up front you can control it you have direction or control over which way you take that piece of land right how you it's your resource um you can dictate what purpose or what um what you're going to do with it so yeah, I I would agree. I think a lot of that too, um, that feeling of having control stems a lot to, in in contrast to the stocks where you're just riding the whims of whatever you know politician or whoever may be in office that day, um, whatever the market or somebody overseas is doing, whether it's good or bad, you're you're riding that wave, helpless, helpless to anything. Um, so yeah, I think being able to actually enjoy and set your hands on that land. Um, it's, it's, it's so much more rewarding and it's wish I wish something that I would have really pushed ahead of, um, earlier in my life, probably too. Granted, I don't regret any decisions I made in terms of being able to save and, and do whatnot. But I think being able to have that tangible, um, asset in your hands is, is very comforting in many ways. You did, you are in control, you own it. Yeah. Very liberating feeling walking on your own dirt. Um, yes. And so you, you mentioned you wanted to buy land for a very long time. When did you get really serious of, you made the mental decision of like, okay, I'm going to pursue this and, and try to find something that fits my goals. What was that date or time? That was so kind of backing up a little bit. My, I, I moved out to Illinois in 2012. Wasn't planning on being here very long, right? I came out here thinking, oh yeah, everybody I, I'm going to meet going to have some land to hunt. I'll be able to get in, whatever. Well, then the idea was I was going to be moving for this job kind of out of this role in about two years, go somewhere else for two. I had no, no time horizon for, for being here in Illinois. So it was kind of like, well, I just kind of pushed it off. Well, then I ended up getting married and meeting my wife, buying a house, having kids. And all of a sudden now it was something like, okay, I'm going to be here. Um, that was kind of the kick in the pants I needed to start formally searching. So it was probably 2018 is when I really started serious. I'll say serious window shopping. Mm -hmm. I mean, every night coming home from work and it would be, you know, Zillow at that time. I wasn't, you know, aware of any, any of the other um, options out there. Zillow, I spend hours on Zillow every night um, to the point where I, at that point, I actually made a spreadsheet, you know, being the finance person, yep. probably. Right. <laughs> yep. I made a spreadsheet of, you know, the location. I put a hot link in there to the listing price, how many tillable acres, how many um, wooded acres, percentage between the two kind of calculates out what I figured rent would be. Then I also put in radius, both miles and time. And I really started kind of building that list. And I think by the time, you know, having kids that kind of some of it got put back on the back burner, but by the time that list was done, I think I had 160 listings on there. Man, I need access I to that spreadsheet. That's probably really <laughs> impressive. <laughs> um, and I, I mean, to the point where I even graphed it, you know, I would graph price per acre to distance from home. Mm -hmm. And being in one of the most southwestern suburbs, I'm competing with people from Chicago, right? Like I, I get yeah. that. A and you could, you could visually see that on that graph in terms of how far I would tra travel from my house. The further away you get, you could see that price come, which is, you know, the expectation. But to actually see that 
um, really helped me set my, my expectations, I think, um, for what was possible and what was, what was feasible. But so that was 2018, 2019, 2020, I had the kids. So that kind of got put on, on pause a little bit, just because you never know, um, with COVID was hitting, if the kids are going to be healthy, um, what's coming on down the line there, you kind of, my head brings me to a point where I need to make sure I'm, I'm planning for that first, right. Playing for them first, me second. Um, so 2020 kind of slowed down a little bit and then late 2021, I started getting into it more. I was like, okay, I've kind of got my feet underneath me a little bit. Let's start searching, searching some more and found some books. I actually found Pat Porter. Awesome. Yeah. Audio, yeah. Audio books on, on audible. Um, I have a, you know, hour and a half drive each way to work. So I was burning through audio books pretty quick. I think there was another one out there by, I might mistake his name, uh, Reed Lance Rosenthal. I think it was for like love of land or something. Okay. And then, uh, come the fall, I, I found the land podcast and I started binging, binging on that. I think I got through all that and that was late 2021. I think I reached out to you maybe, uh, January of 2022 and it just kind of all fit, fell together, right. From where you're located in your area of expertise here in Illinois mm-hmm. and where I was looking, um, there was such overlap there that reached out to you after listening to the podcast. Yeah, it was a, a really good fit because I think some of the farms, like one of the farms you're interested in is literally was two miles from my house. And so, I, you know, <laughs> from from that perspective, I always want to help the folks like I, I just I have a really hard time of this is one of people's largest transactions. And I if I only want to help you if I really can. And I felt in this instance, it was a it was a good fit. And so as you were going through that, did you reach out to other brokers at the time? Or did you kind of interview folks? Or was it was, you know, I, there was one listing um, within this radius that I had reached out to loosely, um, just, you know, based on the, the posting and kind of a few questions. And that was really it. I think what the listing was actually, um, represented wrong with the price. So that's kind of what intrigued me, right? I had kind of this ballpark of what I expected things to go for. And it was, it was listed incorrectly. So I'd reached out on that piece, but other than that, no, I had not, um, gotten real formal. I'll say in my search, mm-hmm. um, prior to calling you, I know I had set up everything with the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, so through your podcast, um, listening, people talking about, Hey, local banks, I had cleared that whole hurdle. Um, I think right before I called you and that was an excellent experience in my opinion too. Um, at least through my transaction, that local bank as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And talk a little bit about that process. I mean, was that, I always say that's such an important piece and I think it's probably even more important with where interest rates are at to know where, where you're going to be potentially. And so you got in before things got where they're at today, but this talk a little bit about that process. So I expected probably going into that process that I was going to pay a premium or um, an interest rate, right? Just in my head, you know, thinking local, I wasn't thinking efficient, maybe in some ways or most competitive, but I knew I was going to be paying for a service and I wanted to pay that premium for the service. Um, however, that wasn't the case. What it was, it was fantastic. So I think I reached out to the local bank and they said, sure, great. We will try to help you fill out this information, get it back to us. And I, I got it back um, that night, actually. And by the next day, I had been, you know, essentially gone through the whole pre-approval. Um, mm-hmm. You know, probably my background being organized, I had all that information handy, but um, got in with that. And, you know, from a, from a service perspective, I had reached out to a couple other banks, honestly, too, just to kind of see, because I wanted to shop around for that, sure. for that interest rate. As and I should. ended up, I never ended up hearing back from, you know. Oh, in, really? Yeah. So... You know, I, I went, started going through the process. Hey, what's kind of interest rate? And it, I was shocked. It was, it was right in line with what I would have expected from a large bank. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the going through that process that was would have been early 2022 um, and the interest rates just kept started kind of climbing up through the summer. But that relationship, having that relationship um, and communication open with that local bank um, shocked me in terms of what they were able to do from an, from an interest rate perspective, essentially. So mm-hmm. it was a, a fantastic um, experience. They, I knew I had somebody I could call it by name. I wasn't just going to have to call a hotline and get some, you know, uh, whoever customer service rep was working that day. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I liked having that personal connection with that individual. I could call them up and say, Hey, here's what I'm looking to do. And no problem. Hey, you need a, a approval letter. We can get you that approval letter, you know, whatever amount you're looking for in terms of what you've been approved for. And uh, they were actually not able to make closing due to some family situations, but um, they were more, been set to have me or I was more than set to ready to close mm-hmm. too, which, you know, I wouldn't have had that confidence necessarily in, in a large lending institution because that relationship wasn't there. Yeah. To your point, you didn't have to pay a premium for the service. And I think that's, that's worth so much in itself and to, to call and bounce ideas off of the bank or, or field questions with them and get knowledgeable answers in a prompt fashion. That's, that's worth a ton in this process. Oh, it was, it was absolutely incredible. Like I said, I would actually say that the interest rate was better than what I was going to be able to get in the market based on the relationship that we had and kind of talking back and forth saying, Hey, here's what I can get you in at. I don't know that I would have gotten that from a large bank. It would have been, here's, you know, the interest rate at closing um, or at that time. And this is what you're going to get as opposed to, you know, the local bank was able to kind of be a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. And say, okay, we've had this discussion, you know, I can hold this for 60 days, 90 days, mm-hmm. which during this, that summer, I mean, interest rates were going up every, every month, it seemed like, right? So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. And then in terms of the market at that time too, so we got connected in January, we were discussing, we were running, you know, we went and looked at another farm. I know we did a due, you did a lot of due diligence on a ton of farms, but you asked my opinion on some farms too. And so what was it like navigating a really hot market at the time? Uh, it was, I don't want to say frustrating, but in some ways you'd see something and literally the next day it'd be, you know, pending. Um, so it, it was frustrating, especially given, given my search radius, because I wanted to be essentially an hour and a half from home. I wanted to be in a spot where I could go out in the afternoon, you know, early afternoon, around noon, be home by the time the kids, kids got to bed. Right. Um, so in that market, there's, there doesn't seem to be as much turnover as maybe you'll get in Southern Illinois. So it's just, you know, location based. Um, so it was super frustrating, but I don't think that really scared me as much as it, as it could have, because I had done my due diligence. I knew I w- what I was looking for and I knew what would have been a fair price for any piece out there really, mm-hmm. um, barring a few, you know, maybe some nuances within individual neighborhoods, but, um, Having done my diligence, having having my spreadsheet in many ways, uh, I knew I knew it was going to be a fast, um, fast paced kind of close or offer at least acceptance. Yeah. And you know we can get into it maybe later too. But that was something I probably came out of the experience learning was how to manage you know the expectations and, and help educate. I'll say my wife too, in terms of how this process is going to look and it's going to be quick. You know, mm-hmm. it's not going to be. Like when we bought a house in 2015 or something where it was like, eh, okay, yeah, that you know, we'll go look at some other ones. We can come back and decide if we want to make this. It was it was go time at the snap of a finger. And I think for some people that probably would have been more daunting. Um, I think if you recall, there was actually a piece of property that we were looking at that, you know, I would have made I would have made an offer on site unseen, essentially mm-hmm. based on 
um, my confidence level with the market and everything else I had um, been made aware of. So, um, yeah, that process in the summer, it was, it was fast paced. It was. Yeah. Ext- was extremely fast paced pace. And it was something you had to be looking at every single day and talking to other, like I was talking to other agents all the time, like, Hey, do you have anything coming down the pipeline and, and vice versa, having that conversation with other agents too. And I, the, the fun thing about that is I'm really thankful with, with the network that I've been able to, to build here locally in, the, in that area. And that farm that was just a little bit further out from where I'm really familiar with, I was able to make a phone call and I felt like we knew about everything you could ever know about a farm it went in a matter of an hour oh yeah yeah i think i th- i can remember sitting sitting at my desk and my phone went off with a with a ring right because i had notifications set on you know your redfins your zillows your realtors and it, it binged and i think within 10 minutes i had looked at that looked at it and texted you and you were already on the phone um with somebody in that area knowledgeable of that area and that's the value of an agent that's familiar with the in the area that you're looking right and with the information that you're able to, to get is really what would have made me what made me comfortable mm-hmm. um with that parcel and you know where we were looking to do with it from an offer perspective and that was that was incredible that blew me away being able to you know send you that note and say hey what about this and you're like oh i don't you know this just popped up i wasn't you know aware of this initially but made a few phone calls to people in that area and within i think it would be like you said an hour yeah. Shout out. Dossier, dossier on that whole parcel. Yeah. And that's, uh, I, I like, I like that process of going in and learning neighborhoods as quick as possible. And that got a lot of reps, uh, during that time frame because you had to. And I think to that same thought, it's still like that to some capacity with smaller parcels. Um, but some of these larger tracks are moving quite a bit slower. And I went to, I've been going to a bunch of auctions and there was some that some of these smaller tracks are still selling beyond what, what I would, if, if I was a betting man and they're like, all right, let's wait, let's set a line. Okay. This is line. Are you going to take the over or under? And I would have been wrong on a handful of them. And so I think uh, I still continue to watch those, but they're starting to become a little bit more predictable of like, I think it should be within this range and that's where they're falling. So I think that's probably uh, an illustration to where the market's at today. Yeah. I think to that point, it was being an outsider in many ways, right? Not having the historical um, perspective on the land market here in Illinois, the run up from last year, it, it wasn't surprising me probably as much as it was surprising, maybe probably you, right? In many sure. ways, because I didn't have that background information or um, of what things had been going for. Yeah, I think that's a great point too, because a lot of this is like, it's a frame of reference. So for someone to come in completely new and then th- their frame of reference is not the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, it's right now in the future. Mm-hmm. And I think there's maybe some bliss to that. Um, oh, yeah. That's it. You don't have that recollection of what things sold for three years ago. And it's like, okay, this is the last year because that's when I've been paying attention. And uh, I think there's some, there's some bliss to that. For, for sure. For sure. And that's like, I, I tell my, my friends back home in Michigan too, it's like, you paid what per acre? Well, I'm like, you paid what per acre? Well, the markets are so different, right? But they just don't have that frame of reference. Whereas if I were to relate that to a price over there for what stuff's going for, because maybe it's $4,000 an acre back in Michigan. If I were to, if they were to do their homework there and realize that they have that same kind of, whoa, I've got this history of what Michigan percentage increase. Yeah. Yeah. goes for. Yeah. So, okay. And then I'm just thinking here, let's, let's talk a little bit about some of, what were some of your goals when you were looking for a parcel too? You mentioned within an hour and a half. Um, I think you wanted something that go ahead. Just tell me, tell me what else were the parameters for you? Hour and a half. And I, I wasn't being that picky. I'll be honest. You know, my, I think that was part of my expectation setting up front. I want something that had deer. It didn't have to be world-class booner, you know, multiple booners every year, you know, 160, 170s. 
that was beyond my my goal, right? If it had deer, it had good deer, a plus, um, and then the, the location. So I would have liked something with some kind of income because to me, I understand that some folks will say, hey, income producing property or income producing acres is not necessarily good deer habitat. Um, however, I think for myself looking at it, it's also something to help build equity. Um, mm -hmm. If you can still find a piece that has huntable acres, has some of that ground to offset with income, you're, you're building equity maybe a little bit faster. You may, you may otherwise. I understand you can do some things with some acres and, and increase your price per acre that way too. But um, so I was looking for some an hour and a half. Um, ideally, that maybe had a little bit of tillable or some area that I could do some kind of food plots with if I chose. And then really just in a neighborhood that I had confidence in, um, deer, bigger deer would have been a plus. And I think we were able to, to manage that for sure with the parcel that we ended up um, landing on. No, mm -hmm. no doubt about it in my book. Like I'm getting trail cam photos and I'm sending them back. I, I almost don't even send them back home because it's, it's <laughs> not even, like, I don't know. If, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's really about it. You know, if there was timber value, that would have been great. But what I really wanted was something close to home and something to get my foot in the door. You know, you keep hearing the best time to buy land was yesterday. Well, the best time for me to buy land would have been 15, 20 years ago, possibly. Right. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to keep push kicking this can down the road. So it was something close. Um, something that had deer, something I could hunt. And that was really on the surface about it. Um, because I think too, if you think about, you know, our process to get our journey together, we walked one piece um, and then the second piece to actually put an offer in on mm -hmm. because it, it fit those boxes, right? It was close. Um, price was, price was right. Um, had opportunities, you know, to even stay overnight based on some of the outbuildings, mm -hmm. but it was the second piece essentially walked. Mm -hmm. I felt comfortable putting an offer in because I knew it doesn't have to be my forever farm. You yeah. Know, no, but how many people buy their first car and it's like their dream car, right? Like you don't go out there typically and, and buy the car that you've been dreaming of as, as an adolescent. Um, so I didn't expect to be able to go out there and buy my dream farm. I knew there, there was going to have some blemishes, nothing I couldn't overlook, nothing that doesn't mean I couldn't, I couldn't enjoy it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I do. I wasn't expecting um, the dream farm right out of the gate either. I think those are excellent expectations or, or very self-aware goals, because I think sometimes people have too lofty of goals for what they're wanting. I mean, I get some calls like, well, I'm looking for 40 acres at like $4,000 an acre, half tillable, half timber, and an excellent deer neighborhood. And it's like, well, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but <laughs> those don't exist anymore <laughs> to speak of. And I think your point of just getting your foot in the door, learning the process and, and enjoying it along the way too. I think one thing is, um, you know, obviously as you, you have a family, like your family can enjoy it. That's what's the intrinsic value of that. And then all these different things that go into the, to the whole process and not having to pay for a lease or not having to bumble around on, on public, which there's, uh, I still run cameras on public. and still bumble around on there too, but it's like an additional option for you. Oh yeah. The, that being realistic, I think, probably trips a lot of people up. They, they have this, you know, and I get it. It's the biggest, per, you know, probably the second biggest purchase you're probably going to make maybe beside your home. So you want it to be the right one and you kind of get, the, you know, you, you sit about it, you dream about it, you think, and all of a sudden you've built this thing up to be this, it has to be this, it has to check all these boxes. When in reality, get in, make some mistakes maybe along the way as you try to improve or enjoy it, um, learn, learn from it and go from there. Mm -hmm. I mean, but who, who knows, maybe along that journey, maybe it's just the journey for you. And I think probably for me as a hunter, it's, it's more the journey than maybe the, the results in some ways. 
Mm-hmm. So there's nothing to say I can't go out and enjoy this piece. And I have this last year and I, I look forward to being able to get, you know, my sons out there, hopefully at some point, if they pick up the hobby, mm-hmm. um, but we can go out there owning a piece. I can go plant Christmas trees. I can go plant sunflowers, like, you know, pumpkins. Yeah. You know, having that piece under my control um, was, was the ultimate goal. With that. And, you know, along the way, if it doesn't have perfect access or it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that. That's, that's for another day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And I think uh, talking a little bit about your property too, I think there was a lot of unique attributes. Like there was, yeah. there's some, there's some things that are a little bit below average, but there's a, a bunch of stuff that is above average and, or like these unique attributes that I think that help increase that property's overall potential. Have you found that to be right or, or were we wrong? No, no, I, <laughs> okay. it was what we expected. It was, it, I, I'm tickled with it. Right. And it is unique. So there were some access issues. It's pretty much just West access. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's essentially a kind of a corner crossing kind of situation going on. Right. But it's bordered on one end by kind of a, a state park, if you want to call it that, or county park, I can actually non hunting area. Um, that can act as a sanctuary and kind of as a, as a funnel or a thoroughfare out to some of these egg fields. And I know that I'm not going to have a, na- a neighbor issue on that corner. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes, it is unique. And again, that's probably a little bit, a very, um, specific circumstance, but for me, it's been playing out just absolutely perfect the way it lays out in the back. Um, I have to be careful going in and out, but right now I'm not hunting it every day either. Right. I've got a family, I've got kids. Um, so I can be selective in the days that I go out there and I can take the wind and I can take my access into account and, and hunt it properly too. Yeah. And it, and some of the pictures you sent me too were uh, very exciting. Cause that, that's one thing like the trend, like the relationship for me doesn't end when the transaction is over. Like I'm, I'm thoroughly invested in knowing how things go. And so it was really cool to see the pictures come in and um, like, really, I was impressed that I would say that's about what my expectations were. But like, some, sometimes too, there's experiences for myself where someone buys a parcel, and you you try to give them the best facts that you can. And then it does not take into account for how they behave on the property. And then maybe they're not as thrilled as mm-hmm. what it could be. And I think that's, maybe that's not the best communication on my end, or, you know, like, I don't know how you I don't know how you just like discuss that in a professional <laughs> manner. But I was really, I was really excited to see what you had going on. Yeah. And I think that relationship too, you had with the seller as well, right? We, we were able to, to work through that process and the transaction where they actually provided trail camera photos from the year before. Right. So as you look at it from a specific hunting and, and deer quality perspective, I was able to gain essentially more Intel on that piece and on the deer there that I was able to compare it to the Intel that I gained this year. And, you know, you talk about repetitive data year over year mm-hmm. saw a lot of that. I mean, within a one to two day window, yeah. of deer showing up in daylight, certain certain spots on the farm and um, having that extra set of data too from that relationship with the prior owner, you know, them allowing me to go out and put trail cameras out before we closed. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, that was worth something too. And I was very appreciative of that, that opportunity as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty rare, honestly. Uh, so it's, it's always good when you have that opportunity because in my mind too, it carves off the least I wouldn't say a full year of the learning curve, but it probably carves off at least a half a season of the learning curve to to already know what was there and when they were there and, and why you think they the bucks were there. Oh, for sure. And, and based on the timing of close too, I mean, it was second half of August, I think. Mm-hmm. So your, your time to kind of get out there and get boost on the ground is 
pretty limited. So having that information ahead of time and being able to go out there and kind of get things kind of, I don't say set up, but understood before you go out there was, was huge too. Mm -hmm. And so what's, uh, what's one of the lessons that you learned throughout that process that you would maybe do differently or things that you maybe wish you, like we're talking about make, you know, making the plunge and, and being comfortable of making mistakes. Like what's one thing that you wish you would have done slightly different. I think big picture would have been obviously what everybody says buying sooner. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I think part of that too, big picture was communicating kind of the, how the process was going to look with my wife. You know, she was definitely on board with the process ahead of time um, was all for purchasing land, but I didn't do a good job of kind of, I say educating or helping her understand how that process was going to look, the, the speed of it and financially what it looked like. I think I kind of took that for granted. She understood my passion for hunting and for getting outdoors and enjoying, you know, creation, nature. But I didn't do, I kind of took that for granted. I didn't have to help her understand that, hey, we're going to put a down payment down of X. You're going to make payments of X over so much amount of time. And to her, that was kind of money gone or money out the window, maybe because I didn't, it, it was on me. I didn't do that good, good job of explaining, Hey, this is an investment. If at worst we sell it. Right. And we're going to get probably at least what we got back, if not more. Mm -hmm. um, and if we didn't, it wasn't going to be much of a loss at all for giving it a shot. So I think big picture, that's something I definitely took away um, learning from the process. Like I say, it was, that was all on me on the, the communication part. Um, but buying land sooner, I wish I would have done something sooner in my, in my career. Now I look at it as an investment, but it wasn't land is not an investment that I'm going to want to have to sell come retirement to be able to retire. retire on. Right. Yeah. So to put all my eggs into land, wasn't something I was really comfortable with either. Now I think there's lessons you learn along the way, how to save, how to do other things that, you know, you could save for retirement on the side, but I didn't want to have to dip into, you know, listing my, my property come retirement because I need that income, um, for, for daily expenses. Right. But I wish I would have done something sooner, you know, on a smaller scale, maybe with tillable land mm -hmm. to help do that, kind of build that equity. Um, I also wish, you know, specifically in terms of, you know, I bought at a comfortable spot. I was comfortable with the payment. Um, I was able to kind of, some of my savings I had set aside, essentially, paying, making the mortgage payment off the interest from some of those investments. But I wish I would have been more aggressive when the land to the east of me came up sure. for sale. Mm -hmm. So there was a essentially a 14 acre piece that came up for sale that would have given me access from the east. Um, so within the last, well, it would have been within three months of closing on the 30 acres, the parcel to my east came up for sale and it had a house. And the house was not in good condition. Uh, it was really from my eyes, my perspective, the liability, I but I really wish I would have been way more aggressive in buying that and getting, you know, increasing the value of my, my parcel by giving myself that dual access from both mm -hmm. sides. And, um, not just from a wind perspective, right. But geographically it really lays out it kind of two different pieces, um, kind of, a, I'll say a Creek bottom kind of area and then some high ground. And this would have given me kind of that access from a timber perspective. If I ever had the opportunity to pull timber, to have that access off the east. So I wish I would have been more aggressive. And I think I had set myself up to be able to do that. And I didn't pull the trigger. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm kicking myself today because you never know when that's going to go back up for sale, right? Mm -hmm. um, there would have been ways I probably could have worked around that liability. It wasn't something I was comfortable with at the time. Um, it, you know, hindsight is what it is, but wish I would have made a more aggressive push to purchase that land. And even if I had to split off the house or do something else with the house, 
Um, it just wasn't in my wheelhouse. You know, I'm a finance guy. I'm not really a, um, heating and cooling or construction, handy. you know, I don't, yeah. yeah, I'm not, not that handy to be able to rehab an entire house or to level it to a foundation and try to do something with it. Right. Uh-huh. Um, but I really wish I would have been more aggressive and more creative and finding ways to pick that piece up because I had set myself up for it. Yeah. I, I, find, it. I find this interesting. It seems like most of the people that I talk to they're one of their largest regrets is not either buying sooner or number B, not, not buying the farm. And for this instance, you know, buying the adjacent parcel. And I have not found anyone that says I regret buying the piece of ground. And I wish I could find someone like that because I feel some, sometimes I've gotten emails like, why don't you have anyone on there that's, you know, fell flat on their face. And it's like, I haven't found anyone that I, I personally have not found anyone and no one has reached out that would want to share that. So if someone's listening and they, and they are willing to put themselves out there, I think there's some lessons to be learned. I was actually, when I was in Iowa with Steve Hansen, uh, he works at a real estate office uh, in Albia, Iowa. And I think the, one of the owners of his office actually filed bankruptcy in the eighties, had a star all over. And then he, you know, he bought a parcel at an auction. He's like, I officially own as much ground as I did in the eighties when, uh, when he lost everything. And so I was like, we need to get him on there. So I, I haven't got him on there, but I wish, I wish there was more, more insights and perspective. Like that's one thing I'm thankful for the podcast of getting a lot of people's perspective to share. But that to me right now, the information I have in front of me, biggest regrets are they didn't buy sooner or they didn't buy the farm that they, that they, you know, felt was maybe just 5% too expensive or something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. It was just that liability in my head. It was more than, you know, having kids, having, having boys, having young boys, having to drive and the work commitments, you know, it just, it came down to time and I knew I was going to have to spend a lot of time probably to be able to get that, say that house to a point where it was, um, that I would want it or felt comfortable with, I should say rather. And it just wasn't there, you know, with, I feel confident with the purchase I've made, but with inflation going where it says, you know, I feel like I have a third kid just with the price of everything seeming to go up. Right. And sure. Just wasn't, didn't pull the trigger. Yeah. That's uh, no. yeah. I, I've been there too. Like I'm, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm perfect with my decisions either. And so um, I think this is being self-aware, but yeah. I, I, think I think it's think, good to have that meter though in your system. Cause if you don't, I could see where you could get in trouble if you, if you didn't have that in the back of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think Definitely. I mean, I sleep well at night, right? Like if I would have bought that piece and something would have gone south with the house or something like that after I bought it, man, I would not be sleeping at all. You know, mm-hmm. Kids aside, want. I would be sleeping even less, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I think from a hunting perspective, there's just some lessons about how to get in, how to get out, trying to find ways um, to hunt that piece better. But that was all stuff I expected up front. And again, just seeing the deer on, on camera. Yeah, I know you don't hunt photos per se but I'm excited every time I go out there and that's, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And that, that property is, I feel pretty serene too. It's pretty quiet in that area. And, uh, yeah, a lot of, a lot of good things there. And I'm excited to go walk it again with a fresh set of eyeballs too, after it's, it's been a while since I've been on that farm. So I'm excited to go do that sometime. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was nice too. When I, after, right after I bought it, I went and talked to all the neighbors, mm-hmm. um, understanding, you know, Hey, introduce myself, let them know, you know, here I am where I'm at. Here's my contact information. You know, they've been more than gracious. Yeah. We'll keep an eye out. You know, I've said, Hey, if you want to walk it anytime during the year with outside of, you know, hunting season, that's cool too, because, you know, they're the ones living there. They have, they have my back. I've, you know, hopefully they feel like I've got their back too. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's a good piece of advice. Um, let's see what, give us, give us a hot take or a hot piece of advice on saving up for your down payment. I feel like that's something that you did really strong. We've talked about it, but if you had to boil it down, someone right now is, let's say in their early to mid twenties and they're like, I really want to buy land. What is, what is some advice 
that you could just boil down into short form? Think about the day-to-day stuff, right? So I think about it still today. What can you cut out daily that you're not going to appreciate? You're not going to really need in 10, 15 years from now. Are you really going to need um, to go out to lunch every day, right? Or can you just pack your lunch? Are you going to really 20 years from now think, oh man, I'm so glad I went, to, I went out to lunch every single day at work and grabbed you know a meal for 12 bucks when I could have packed it for three. Um, I picked up a commuter car and it saved me four gallons of gas a day. Does that seem like much? No, but every day, day in and day out at that age, I mean, that stuff's going to, that adds up real quick. You know, you talk four gallons of four gallons of gas, uh, three bucks a gallon, 12 bucks a day, five days a week. You know, you're talking 60 bucks a week, 240 bucks a month. Yeah. Yeah. And then you tack on, maybe it's a subscription service to something you only use once a month. There's another 15, 20, 30 bucks, who knows? And you start adding all this stuff up that really take a look at what you're doing daily because it's those those small habits that make a big impact. Um, obviously make sure you're saving for your retirement and all that kind of thing. I know, you know, you can save that in land, but the the small stuff is what's what's gonna make it up, right? Do you need do you need a new car? Do you need uh I don't know, do you need a, this might be a heresy or you know, I might be a heretic for saying this, but do you need a new bow every year? Yeah. Right. Again, is that a significant amount of money? No, but all these kind of things start to add up that maybe a new bow every two, three, four years, five years. I'm shooting the same bow I had 10 years ago. I love it. It's great. It's going to do the job for anything that I can ask it to do. Um, but yeah, the small stuff, like I pack lunch, um, subscription services, um, your driving habits, right? Preventative maintenance on cars or your house or whatever it might be. It's trying to stay ahead of those things so that the small bills don't become large bills. Mm-hmm. That's that's great advice. I, I always think of things in terms of acres on every expense I have in my life, whether it's a, like a remodel or something. Like, man, this is you know, like X amount of acres are like this. This uh, recurring expense is you know, uh, you know, however much thousands of what I could buy in in real estate. And so, uh, I think of I think like that too, uh, maybe to the extreme. But it's like, yeah, no, I think about mortgage payments. I mean, I don't think about it in acres, but I think about it as a mortgage payment. Like, if I can save five hundred bucks a month, what's that for a mortgage payment? Yeah. You know, Wait, what? Yeah. <clears throat> when you bought it, it probably would have been close to a hundred, hundred thousand. Now it's probably closer to someone's going to grill me, but I'm just like seven fifty, eight hundred. Like that same. That? Like so, if what? What a five hundred, five hundred dollars a month would roughly get you a hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Like that's what that would break down to, just principal and interest. And so, I would be curious yeah. what that same hundred thousand costs today. Oh. Yeah, I, I haven't ran reran the numbers, but probably seven seven hundred. Yeah, seven eight hundred bucks. Eight eight thirty. Yeah. Which, which is another illustration too. I think it's funny because people, everyone has an opinion on where things are at and everything else. But I think it is ironic a little bit when people are like, ah, I wouldn't pay those land prices and they're not buying a cash. So like they're, they're let's say this, this person, and let's say this is for houses too. Like, ah, I'm not going to pay those crazy prices. The prices haven't retracted to where it is close to break even again on the actual monthly payment or even close to it. And so I think that to me, shows if you find a parcel that you like, that you can afford, buy it. Because like all these other things that are out of your control, you just can't time everything perfectly. No, no. make it a, a comfortable payment and you won't regret it, right? Mm-hmm. Pay a fair price. It doesn't have to be a steal. Do your homework, understand what you're comfortable with. And if you're willing to, you know, put some work into it, you're going to drive that up. You know, it might not be today, but run cameras, get some history. You know, you see listings out there, at least I do still, because I'm looking every day. Um, 
I feel like there's probably some, some pieces out there that aren't marketed to their potential. And if you have that in your pocket too, when you go to sell at some point down the road, that's worth something for sure. Yeah, I know when I look at listings and it's, it's that history is there, it gets me more excited. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, those are great pieces of advice. Anything else that you wish you would have known or that you have found to be impactful or something you would do differently. Uh, actually, some, I'll bring this up. We talked a little bit before, uh, there was two things. The first one was, uh, a fair point. So here in Illinois, if you have 40 acres, you get a landowner's permit. And in the reality, it doesn't make too much of a difference in my in my opinion for deer. Like the deer tag is really not that expensive here. But the only benefit to a landowner tag in Illinois, in my opinion, is the turkey tag. So you get to hunt all seasons. And the Illinois turkey season, how it's structured is goofy. Yes. Yes. I was not aware of that until this year when I went to apply. You know, would it have changed my 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 approach or my my decisions? Probably not, but it, I wasn't even aware of it. And that's a, a part where ignorance, you know, in some ways could have, could have bit me. I think the other piece, um, was the, the lot that I bought is in really two sections. I didn't, I assumed you could build on it. Right. I just assumed you could, it's out in the mm -hmm. country. It's flat. You know, I'm not in a floodplain, whatever I can build on, it. which I can, but I wasn't, I didn't do my due diligence in terms of looking up the building code and seeing how much setback and offsets you had to have on a house in terms of side lots and all that kind of thing for rural, rural real real estate um that could have possibly been me mm -hmm. had i you know wanted to go down that route or road later on in um this journey but i you know again i wasn't aware of that and i didn't think to look at that until i was talking to one of the neighbors and they kind of mentioned something like oh i didn't know this this um parcel comes all the way out to the road and start talking about road frontage and all that kind of thing and you know it just never dawned on me i never thought mm -hmm. to even ask that question yeah that's so that's good. And then the other thing that we were talking about too previously was, you know, you bought well within your means. And so in your mind, is there more potential for potentially scooping up another parcel or just continuing to be in a really strong position for whatever life throws at you? I think both, you know, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, it's land is in many ways still a luxury purchase. So if something curveball comes down the road and I need to address that, whether you know, it's with the family or whatever, I can do that. But also buying below my means, you know, you hear a lot of people say they'd rather have two forties than an 80 or maybe, you know, three thirties than a 90 or whatever it might be having those different options where buying below my means. Now at this point I can entertain those ideas, mm -hmm. which is, is great to me. I mean, one, it's, that's how I kill my time at night. So I still have a reason mm -hmm. to go looking on land watch and all these, you know, all the syndicate listings and whatnot, but, mm -hmm. um, truly I can go out there and I can be more picky with a second parcel now too. Right. Like it, I can be a little bit more choosy maybe when it comes to access or neighborhoods or whatever it might be, right? My, the radius, how close I am to home because I've stayed within my fence, my boundaries in terms of what I was comfortable doing and extending myself from a fi financial perspective. And that to me is exciting too, um, having that opportunity to go look at something else and start to whittle down or kind of be more choosy. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think you inherently get that luxury when you're already locked into a parcel. Like you don't, the time isn't, land is not, as it appreciates, it's not working against you. Like you're already locked in. And I, the Bill Winky uses that phrase, the locked in, you know, locking in. And so I don't want to take claim for that. So I'm going to give credit to him. But I think, I think that's so true though. Be like you're locked in, you're locked in at your rate. You bought it, what you bought. And no matter what happens outside the world, like it doesn't matter because you're in a good position with where you're at. Yeah. And that, that was probably something, you know, going through the podcast and listening to everybody and Bill talking, it was something that really never dawned on me is that you're locking in today's price at today's interest rate with today's dollars. And then, you know, as time goes on, that's going to appreciate. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, which reminds me to, you know, the local bank, I never thought going into this, that you know, you could do a 30 year mortgage on a piece of land, mm-hmm. which I think is as little as like, we were talking with where I was at, um, 10% down, mm-hmm. you know, that was another thing I never thought was with a local bank. But to your point, I think you talked about, was it, um, marry the farm, but not the interest rate yeah. kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, I can play the wind, you know, if I had two parcels, I can play the wind. I can, you know, not put as much pressure on one if I have more opportunities. So I'm glad it, I'm glad I'm in the spot I am today. That's for sure. That's good. That's excellent. Yeah. Anything else here you want to share? I really appreciate you sharing your story. I think there's some really good pieces of information in here, some good insight and uh, happy to hear anything else you'd like to share. No, I think it's, like I say, find a good mechanic, keep those cars running, you know, yeah. be proactive, do your, do your homework so that you're comfortable. Yes. Communicate. If there's somebody else involved in the process, communicate, over communicate, you know, over communicate everything to the point where they're probably going to tell you, hopefully to, to shut up. Right. Because <laughs> like, that okay, means, we get it. Yeah. We got it. Yes. I understand. Yeah. Cause, Cause that means you, you've, you're both on the same page there. Right. And that, that was something that tripped me up. Um, and, and probably drug some things out on our end as well, a little bit longer than they probably should have given the market that we were in. Right. Even a day or two in this market was, was a long time. And I didn't do that up front. So communicate, communicate, communicate and homework, but be able to sleep at night. Don't be worried, you know, find a side hustle. If you want to find, I I need a, I need a side hustle. I'll be honest, (laughs) but use that side hustle. In my opinion, use that side hustle for the down payment and don't rely on it for the mortgage payment. That's a good piece of advice. That way you're not having to, having to do that hustle to make the monthly payments. Once you've obtained that piece of land, use that, that side job. Um, whatever skill you might have on the side to build up the savings to put the down payment on so that then once you have that piece of property on in in your possession if you want to keep hustling great pay down that mortgage pay down the balance pay down the principal but you're not tied to it if you know seasonally whatever that is you're what you might be doing dries up or something else happens you're not relying on that to to make that payment every month but hustle. that's a great piece of advice yeah great piece of advice well I appreciate it. Once again, congratulations. I'm, I'm thankful you were willing to hop on here and share your story. Uh, very happy. I'm, I'm thankful. I started this for the goal of helping people buy their first farm. And I'm, uh, I'm honored to have you on the spreadsheet. And I got to have my hand in the deal. I, it was a really enjoyable transaction. No, it was it was the greatest thing I've done here in the last few years. It was something I wished for for since I was 11 years old, 30 years. And to have all the pieces come together like they did, I appreciate it very much. So thank you. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, good luck, turkey hunting, and uh, we'll be in contact. Yeah. Thank you. There you guys have it. Head over to the link in the description to check out the upgrade program. We have a video explaining it in even more depth than what I discussed earlier in the episode. And that is it. Hope you guys have an excellent week. Until next time, see you.